He was a guest on the Playful Geeks podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the Play for Keeps podcast. I'm Cameron Hay at Cameron underscore Hay on Twitter, and I'm joined by Drew Williams at Dopest Drew on Twitter. And we're coming off of a, a big week from this previous episode. I'm pretty sure you guys have all heard it. You guys have seen the shockwaves this since, so we don't have to rehash it. But we have another special guest this week, another NBA champion, yep, and a guy who's been making shockwaves with his opinions on everything nba related we just let's just go ahead and introduce him we have kendrick perkins we joined by kendrick perkins 2008 nba champion from the boston celtics how you been holding up perk how you doing hey i've been true what's up man i appreciate y'all having me on but look can't call me by my government man we know the call big perk right here (laughs) (laughs) i might want to hang up man and let y'all give me that introduction again, because that's how I like to be introduced. <laughs> oh, my bad, Perk. My bad. How you been? How you been holding up during this quarantine and everything? You know, everything's been crazy outside. How you doing? Man, you know, hey, today, man, to me, I, I feel like if you waking up, your family will, you know, you got all your people is good. And if you got income coming in, man, you're blessed. So, you know, a lot of people is going through trying times, but I feel like you know, we fight through it. It's a different thing for everybody. So everything is all good on my end. You know, I, I have no complaints. As long as the fam's straight, I'm straight. Everybody healthy is all good. That's all that matters. So yeah, we, no doubt. We got some pressing questions we got to ask you, not just about your NBA career, but even further back. I know Drew has a couple questions for sure that we've been interested in hearing from you that we don't think we've heard anybody else ask you or, or get out of you. So I'm going to go ahead and pass the ball to him and let him get started. One thing I absolutely have to know about. O2, take me back to the state title game. You played against Bosch. Yep. You were a junior. He a senior. They got the number one team in the country, I believe, or, or definitely number one team in the state. Yeah, there's number one in the country. Yeah. So take me back to that game. Is there anything you remember? Well, I mean, it, 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 it was, listen, you got Chris Bosch, a McDonald's All-American, ranked, what, top five in this class. I was ranked top five in my class, ranked number one in the nation. We was ranked number five in the nation. We have we still hold a record for the most attendance in the Urban Center. It was standing. Wow. And they beat us, man. They had a better team. But we battled, man. We battled. When I look at it, Chris Bosch was a pro. Like, he could have bypassed going to Georgia Tech, went straight to the league. Like, he was NBA ready right then. Because if I was NBA ready, damn sure was NBA ready. How excited were you going into the game to be able to have that matchup with somebody of Bosch's magnitude? Like you said, he was top five in his class. You top five in yours. Like, what was your thought process going into that? It, it, it wasn't nothing. Like, I wasn't afraid for the moment. You have to understand, like, I had played against best of the best at the AU circuit. So, mm-hmm. me, I was ready. I mean, you know, the bright lights, man, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't shying away from it. And I was on the mission, and I wanted to see. Like I wanted to smoke. I wanted to see. Yeah, right. Game. I actually blocked his shot attempts. He tried to post me up. Tried to shoot his turnaround. I was like, Nah, give me that. <laughs> and he started stretching me out. He was back door live, and like you know, it, it was fun to be a part. It was great. 
And if you ask him about it, he'll be like, man, the best games, high school games that ever been played in the state of Texas. Definitely. Facts. You like you said, you were you were a year below him. He was a year above you. Did that match up and matching up with somebody of his caliber? Did it show you another level that you still needed to get to? Did you learn anything from that particular matchup? No, not really. Because I mean, listen, Cam, Drew, y'all gotta understand. I I, I broke all the stack records. Yeah, because, you know what I mean. I was I was NBA ready. I was ready from the jump. You know, but going against a guy like Bosh, he did add. Uh, he did make me come outside my comfort zone because he was more face up guy. I blocked a few of his shots, but he got a full mind. He made me add more to my than just uh, a, a a one two jump hook and a drop step dunk. Like I actually had to add more to it, face up game and and learning how to shoot an elbow and things to that nature to prepare me for the big boys. Funny you mentioned that you were in one of the final two, I believe 04 was last year. 05, oh five. So, but one of the final prep to pro where they allowed you to jump straight out from you know high school and everything. Do you think if you end up going to the University of Memphis like you committed, you think you go higher than 27 in 03, or do you think at the end of the day you were ready to make the leap and you think you turned out how you should have? Now, to be honest, man, let me tell you something about Coach Cal. This is what separates Coach Cal, in my opinion, from every other coach in the NCAA. What made me go to that? What made me sign with Memphis was that Coach Cal was like, "Perk, listen, you're projected late, late first round, early second round. I don't want you for two years. I don't want three years. I don't want four years. I want you for one year, and I'm gonna make you a lottery for a youngster." Coming out, man, and, and his goal is to be an NBA player by dreams. And for a coach to say that, that means he got my best interest at heart, right? Right. But coming out of a community, a small country town in Beaumont, Texas, where I was raised by my grandparents, my grandmother was a maid that was pulling in 60. My grandfather cleaned up the church making 300 a month. I grew up on the farm. If I get a first-round guarantee, I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta make it out for my grandparents and put them in a situation. I lost my mom at the age of five, shot and killed by her best friend. You know what I'm saying? So I was raised by my grandparents. Well, we survived. My church shoes was my hooping shoes. So I had to find a way, and they were my motivation. And so what I did was, if I could get a first round guarantee, I only worked out for four teams, and I didn't even go to the combine. The thing that messed me up the most was that it was a package deal. I had a guy by the name of Kena Young that was on my team, and we was both supposed to go to Memphis together. The only way he was was, was that if I also – and when I decided to go to the league, they pulled this deal back, and he ended up having a coach, which he ended up going winning conference player of the year and so forth. But I don't have any regrets. Like you said, you went late first round Celtics. Can you describe what those first couple of years in the NBA were like for you? Like how the transition from straight out of high school to now playing against professionals? It was a huge adjustment. You got to understand, man. I'm a country boy coming from my Texas, going all the way northeast to Boston, a uh, different culture. Where down south, man, you got that south hospitality where people are friendly. And I'm so, I was so country and so excited. I didn't even know about shipping cars man i drove 31 hours 
Wow. <laughs> I drove 31 hours. But when I got there, the good thing about it was that I had a good group of vets, man, like Walter McCarty and Tony Delk, Tony Batista, Eric Williams, you know, like guided me. It was like, look here, young fella, you could go this route, or you could go this route and league in three years. And basically what they were saying was, you know, one time I remember practice started at 11 o'clock and I got there at 10 late. And I was like, what you mean? Well, no, no, you got to be here. You supposed to be everyone here. You supposed to be in here, get here at six in the morning and you got to be the last person to leave. So they installed in me on how to be a professional on and off the court. Before I was making that adjustment on the court, at that time, the game was fit for me because it was hanging. You know what I'm saying? The game was ran through the post, elbows. Bigs were that, that what made the league. You know, like now it's a guard and wing-driven league. Well, back then, you had to be able to get a bucket on the block. You had to have a go-to move. And you had to be able to play through the elbow, make a move or knock down the elbow shot. So it was good for me. And I had a coach that believed in Jim O'Brien who gave me a your first couple of years go by, and then the offseason of 2007 comes, where you guys trade for Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett as well. What was your thought process when you realized you were going to go from a team, you guys being a lottery team, and now you're you're going to be a starter on a contender, like mentally? Like, how did you prepare for that? Man, as a youngster, I didn't give a damn, right? I didn't see the bigger picture because Al Jefferson was the power forward. I was center. They was building around us at the time. So when they traded for KG, I wasn't feeling that. I didn't KG didn't like me, and I didn't see the bigger picture. All I looked at it was, hey, I just traded my homie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I started to realize people start calling me, and I started watching TV, ESPN. They like, man, the Celtics got to – they about to win a championship. And people like, Perk, you about to win a ring. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, man. You got the opportunity to win a ring. So then it set in. But then the disrespect started where it's like, oh, they got a big three, but they don't have a point guard in the center. So Rondo and I start calling ourselves the other two because we was always left out of the conversation. Or yeah. we was doubted until, you know, the playoffs came around and we stepped up in moments like we did help win games. But we was doubted all the way up from – Game one, the game made it two. You speak about you and Rondo, like you guys were, you were the two young guys on that team pretty much. Like everybody else was a veteran. Everybody else in the rotation was battle tested. They were guys who either had been to the playoffs or had been in the league for a long time. How gratifying was it to be a part of a team like that? One of the greatest Celtics teams of all time. You guys won 66 games and won a championship. Like nobody expected much out of you and Rondo to, on that team, like you said, you guys were always kind of left out, but you guys came up in big moments. How did that feel for you to to experience that type of glory to reach the mountaintop at such a young age and when nobody expected it out of you two? Man, you know what? That that's when I was able to play 14 years. Uh winning that championship was the best thing ever in my breath. You can make all the all-star games you want, all NBA teams, but one thing about it, when you're an NBA champion, Man, you are remembered, cherished for a lifetime. I go back to Boston, man, and I have so much, like, I don't even have to fool, bro. Like, it's <laughs> so much love there. Like, like I told you, I just got off 
working the Boston Network. That's my side job inside the ESPN. I could go back and start naming years and who won this championship and this year out, and it'll hit you instantly. But if I go ask y'all who was the All-Stars, it runs differently. Today I get a call. Man, Perk, you got a royalty check coming in every year now. I said, for what? I'm not even playing. Nah, because you won a championship. Your 2008 championship team is always going to be on the video game. So now you get 20 racks every year being just being a champion. When you get introduced, when you get introduced, like on, even on y'all guys' show, me coming on the pod today, NBA champion, like it sticks with you, man, and it carries weight. But I can tell you this. Having guys like KG, Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, P.J. Brown, Doc Rivers, the guy who I am today and be okay with who I was as a player. So Doc called me and he said, look, Kirk, you can try to go out here and make an all-star game and mess around and have a six, seven-year career. Or you could be a star in your role and have a 14-year career. Forget the outside world, set screens, Roll hard to the basket, anchor the defense, and you're going to play 10-plus. And I listened to Doc. I did that, and I had a successful career plus years. The average NBA career had four years. You know, people can say what they want. That perk average five, all this. I beat the odds. Yeah. I'm period point blank. Everyone can't be a chief. You got to have those Indians. So I played my role. Man, I took pride in setting screens. I took pride in anchoring coverage on defense. I think a lot of young players need to know that. You know, be a star in your role, and, man, you could have a long career. Look at guys here at Cam Drew, we was having conversations off record. How is Melo not in the league at the time but a guy like Jared Dudley? Jared Dudley is a guy that knew his role, the star in his role. Talk about the different mindset of going from being the young guy with Rondo and then when you got traded to Oklahoma City, you kind of became the veteran presence in the locker room where they're mostly a bunch of young guys. What do you think you brought with you when you went to Oklahoma? Man, I bought leadership. I bought the word sacrifice. Man, when I got to Oklahoma City, man, it was all over the place. You had this group here, this group of guys hanging out here. Had guys flying in, they brothers, they hanging out on the road with this group. We can't win like that. We need to come together. I just came from a, a team where we all was together. It was in boot to it. We on the road and we going to dinner. We 15 on the dinner. Right. So that's the first thing I did. And I was like, hold on. Danny Ainge just traded me. He just traded me to a hell of a situation. When I noticed that I was playing with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James, and Sergi Baca, them young studs. I was like, hold on, I got to take a veteran leadership. And we had to sacrifice the one together. So what I started doing is when we got on the road, hey man, look, group them there at this time, be there. Hey, look, we playing cards in my room at this time. Go watch these games. Count out all the outside noise, all the outside distractions and come together as one. And that's what I brought to the table. I brought the, that leadership that sacrificing because guess what? If you know personally outside of basketball, that shit carries over the court and people don't realize. Cam, if I know you and Drew and I get to know y'all about y'all family and stuff like that, on the court, I'm ready to go to war for you in a whole different type of way. That's right. And that's what I brought to that Thunder team.
when you got there to see guys like James Harden, Westbrook, KD to become what they've become. Oh, like, did you see that for all three of them when you first got there, being there up and up close and, cl- and personal? Did you always see this for for all three of them? Yep, yep. KG called me. He sent me a said, "What's up, big fella? I'm checking on you. What, what them young fellas like over there?" I said, "KG, these guys kill us, and they work." He said, "Word." It didn't surprise me about Kevin Durant MVP. It didn't surprise me about Russell Westbrook uh, becoming an MVP. It didn't surprise me about James Harden. And see, what people don't understand is, is that everybody want to say, man, Sam Presti dropped the ball. He should have kept that team together. No, he shouldn't have. No, he shouldn't have. James Harden wouldn't be the James Harden he is today. And what people don't realize is that when you look at that team that the Heat formed, those guys had already accomplished everything. Multiple all-stars, getting that bag, all that. These were young guys. You asking guys to sacrifice at the age of 22 and 23? Listen, the first thing first before championships and all, the NBA is a job. You need to get your bag first. James Harden, since he left and went to the Rockets, he's probably worth, what, $400 million? Not, it wasn't, no, it, it wasn't meant to keep it together. And I personally have to apologize to James because I was mad at James Harden for leaving. I was. I was pissed off at him because I was like, man, you breaking up our championship. Then I had to think about it like, I'm going to knock this man for going to get his bag. The NBA is a job. Man, go get your letters before anything, period, point blank. And I, a lot of people lose sight of that. They think that the winning is the only thing that matters. And, of course, that's important, and it helps build your legacy. But like you said, this is God's livelihood. This is how they feed their families and take care of their families. So you got to get every dollar that you can possibly get before your time is up, it's, especially in a, such a short period of time. You guys only work for, if you're lucky, 10 years, 11 years. Yeah. You're only in your prime for so long. Exactly. You can't ask a guy out on $100 million and $200 million in shoe money and uh, uh, fifty million and body armor. Like you can't, you gotta, man, you gotta let that man go eat. And that's so that's what we had to let James go eat. The Play for Keeps podcast will be right back with more Kendrick Perkins. Stay tuned on the Elite Media Group channel. Hey, what's up? It's me, Jeff, aka Platinum Chanel Boy. I need to make sure you guys are all tapped into the Elite Media Group, where you can find the Play for Keys podcast with my guys Cam and Drew, and of course the RSPN podcast with myself and Mark. Man, tap in. Make sure y'all subscribe. Tell a friend. It's whatever, man. Holla at us. All things basketball. Yeah. You played in three different finals and started for three different finals team. And I want you to talk about how different the mindset was in 08 compared to 2010 compared to 2012. Well, in 08, 08, it was more so championship. But, I mean, like, you you, you had this big three form. It, it wasn't no just making it to the finals and being okay with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, KG, Ray Paul, they had to win. That, that, it, it, that was their opportunity. And when you get there, you got to take advantage of it. See, what a lot of people don't understand is making it to the finals is like the Super Bowl. You could get caught. Like the way that the NBA set the stage, forget that you'd end up actually play the game of basketball. Toronto winning last year was so, like, it was it, it was a fun thing to watch. 
of those guys wasn't on that stage. That's why I like Pascal Siakam so much credit because it's not easy to go on the biggest stage yeah, and drop 32 in game one, 16 of those Draymond Green, right? But then you look at this the Oklahoma City team when we made it, you got to understand we were young, right? Nobody really knew that the sky was the limit, but we didn't know we – really could make it to the finals. And the reason that we lost the finals was because look at that Miami Heat team. They had just lost to the Dallas Mavericks. They were hungry. They had veterans. They had veterans. Mike Miller, James Jones. Like those guys go down without swinging. We never got over that game two when LeBron fouled KD on the baseline. Because right then we go up 2-0. Going into Miami, and we never really bounced back from that. So I think looking in that situation, we was like the future is bright. We got more years, but then sudden James contract come up, and we understand his situation. Rest is history. When I was with the Cavs, another unfortunate situation. Kyrie goes down. Kevin Love goes down. If though we have both of those, guys, we win the championship. I mean, Braun on the tear. Man, Braun was eating these people up. And Kyrie was cooking in that game one before he hurt his knee. Yeah. Yeah, those guys, man, we walk away with that championship. But, you know, things happen. Tim Duncan said it, the great Tim Duncan. Like 20% of winning a championship is luck. Whether that's injuries or whatever the may be, you got to have luck. I don't know how much you can tell us. But what is the craziest Kevin Garnett story that happened that you can tell us that you don't think anybody else has heard? Is is this sensitive? You can say whatever. You can share whatever you're comfortable with. I remember. (laughs) I remember one time, right, we playing the Bulls, the regular season game. Somebody at the free throw line. So I remember it was KG, Joaquin Noah on one side, and it was me somebody else on the other side and somebody was shooting free throws and Joe King Noah came with like this old friendly shit. He was like, Hey KG man. Hey man, will you be working out this summer trying to get better? And I'm looking, I'm like, man, he just setting himself up. <laughs> he come and was like, motherfucker, fuck you. <laughs> just like that. Clear cut. So Joe King look at me and I'm like, man, you heard what he said? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just crazy because you had a young Joaquin Noah thought that like he was gonna tap KG and thought it was gonna be some sweet, some friendly, and KG hit him with a motherfucker, fuck you, no sugar coating it, nothing. It came just like that, and it, the look on Joaquin Noah's face was like, what? Wow. He just like it was deflating to him. <laughs> yeah. And so KG, he was just one of them guys. He just he never turned it off when he's on the court. I used to ask him, like, do you use when you at home, do you think bars to say, like, uh, like punchlines? Because, like, I remember one time we was playing against, I want to say the Wizards or somebody. Some dude was talking noise and and he, like, turned them around and raised up his, he was like, who are you? Turned them around and was, like, looking at his jersey and was like, who the hell is your name? Like, <laughs> ultimate disrespect, but like Ticket didn't give a fuck, but he was going to back it up. That's how he felt. And I remember one time, like, we was playing Braun them in the Eastern Conference Finals, 
So you got Jay Z and Beyonce there in the Golden Court side. KG get like an offensive rebound. I'm fake. He getting ready to go to the free throw line and he just start talking shit. He like, yeah, ain't no motherfucking rock in the building today. The only motherfucking rock this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not thinking to say this right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is that what you learned most from KG? Just like he showed you a different level of intensity you had that you had to come with, or, or what did you learn most from him? The thing that I learned the most from KG, though, besides the hard work and all that, right? He punched in the clock like no other. But the thing that I learned from KG, besides the high basketball IQ on the defense, was sacrifice, though. That man sacrificed more than any other superstar that I ever played with in my entire career. That was the reason that that Boston team was able to work. From day one, came in, and I remember he set the tone. He was like, Paul, Ray, we're going to run offense through you. Through you guys, perk me. you go focus on the defense. Hey, Doc, if you need me on the bone, the motherfucker, throw it down here, take a back seat. We all knew that KG was the best motherfucker on this team, dog. Right. And he set the tone from the jump and took a back seat. Nah, we gonna run it through you and you. And I think that's part of it why still to this day, KG has that beef with Ray because he like, bro, sacrificed a lot for you and you know that. And see, that's what that's what people don't understand. People be saying, oh man, KG, now, KG ain't childish. KG sacrificed a lot, and Ray know that. So it's different. It's different when you when you gave up a lot to somebody. Yeah. Different prison. We're going to lean into the Lakers. I know a lot of Lakers fans, they feel that they were robbed in 08 not having Bynum, and then a lot of Celtics fans feel that they were robbed in 2010 not having you. If we get that true trilogy and KG doesn't get hurt in 09, how do you think that third – Finals. We run off three straight. I started five, never lost the never lost when we were held. Straight up. We never lost. We were tied on the stream, man. And then for people who have doubts, guess what? That same Laker team beat that Oklahoma City team, right? Before I got there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all beat them. Y'all beat them. I broke yep. that shit up. I broke <laughs> that shit up into that big duo with Bonham and Parker. So I broke that shit up. Here point blank. People know the risk. You heard so, me Kobe Bryant mouth. That's right. <laughs> you yeah, said you was the best post defender. How how much does that that 2010 final still stick with you, knowing you got hurt right before when y'all was up three two? How does it does it still eat at you a little bit to this day? That shit, I think that more than I think about the championship, dog. One, I was hurt, and I didn't never know if I would reach the finals again. See, people don't understand. Getting to the finals is hard in itself. That's why. When people take for granted that LeBron James has been in the finals over 50% of his career and don't get credit for that, people don't understand how hard that is in itself, right? Thanks, bro, we were up 14 fucking points going into the fourth quarter. Whether I was playing or not, we was up 14 points, and we blew it, man. We blew it. They had the champagne back there by our locker room to start the fourth. I seen it. I'm like... I'm thinking about this parade we about to have again. I'm thinking about this new uh, Rolls Royce I'm about to go buy with this playoff bonus because I bought a Bentley with my first playoff bonus. I'm about to go buy this Rolls Royce. I'm about to put these shows on that motherfucker. And we blew the lead, man. I think about that every in the 08 championship. 
And that was a game where the Lakers dominated the glass in that game, in that game seven. Like, I remember Kobe had 14 rebounds. I think Powell had double-digit boards. Yeah. They couldn't – that's what that's what ultimately won them that game. It, it, it seemed like they wore y'all down. It was a, a battle of attrition. It was a battle you know, of attrition. Nobody, exactly. nobody could get a bucket on either end. You just need to get a rebound, not give up offensive board. If you go and look at the history of that series, I, whoever won the rebounding game won the game. Like, I just remember looking from the side. It was game seven. Everybody was tired. Everybody in the in the paper center standing up. Kobe shot six for twenty-four. They willed the victory. Like yeah. he willed them the victory. As a shooting guard, how you just go in there and grab 14, 15? And I think he probably had six or seven of them was offensive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So now that I think about it, even guard great Kobe, now that I think about it now, I don't even really get mad. Kind of like, man, I'm glad he got that one. Straight up. I want to ask you since you just brought this up with him, like he was six for twenty-four, but he, he he grabbed fourteen boards. I'm of the thought process of a lot of people view being clutch as just like hitting a game winner, but I look at that as a clutch performance. Like his shot wasn't falling, and he found another way to have a, a huge imprint on the game, like you said, will this team to victory. I look at that as a clutch performance for Kobe. You see, it's Sunday, and you're preaching the gospel. <laughs> People don't understand, like, they think Clutch is just hitting a, 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 the big shot. Oh, Clutch is what Kobe did. Clutch is what, what LeBron did when he locked up Kawhi in the fourth, switched out on, like, nah, you ain't getting this three. Like, that, that's a Clutch performance. Yeah, right. We didn't see Giannis do that last night when Luka was killing him last night. We didn't see Giannis step up and say, let me guard him. That's what separate the, the popular from the powerful, right? These guys, Kobe, Braun, and a whole nother stratosphere of great. What else are you going to do when your offense is not going? How can you change the game? How can you impact the game? That's clutch. You're speaking the gospel today, man. Change your lane to I'm Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I'm, I'm glad you said it because it's something that I've always thought. Like, I look at that as one of Kobe's most clutch performances of his career. He's hit a bunch of game winners, a bunch of playoff game winners. And all the all the huge four quarter performances, but that was a game seven where his team needed anything. They just needed anything, and he gave them what they could, what he could, and came out as a champion. He gave them what they needed. We talking about one of the ultimate students of the game. You don't think he knew that? Go get fifteen boards. He knew that. Definitely knew. I want to pivot a little bit off of your NBA career. You're now becoming a pretty prominent voice in NBA media. Was this something you always wanted to do after you got done playing, or how did this come about? You know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be the next head coach that was a big man that played in the league. The media just kind of fell in my lap, right? And I actually got a couple calls about being an assistant coach. But I, I, I looked at it like I'm willing to do it. But then all of a sudden, it was like, hey, Perk, you got a unique personality. I never thought a guy, a country boy from Beaumont, Texas, would be up there and people want to hear me talk basketball. I'm not up there trying to look up words, encyclopedia or dictionary. This is who I am. This is what you're going to get out of me. I'm actually loving it because now it's my job. Hell, I watch basketball anyway. For me to sit up here and watch basketball and go give my thoughts. And you know what I love is go out on the ledge and old predictions and have people laugh at you now and then you rub later. Like I'm going with the Oakland C Thunder. When I picked them to make the playoffs and everybody was like tripping, 
now they sitting right up here, and now they really a team that a lot of teams probably don't want to first round in the West. No, right. not at all. You know what I'm saying, and that's what that's what it's all about. Like you got to be fearless, you got to have tough skin, and you can't be biased. But the one thing I can say though, I go, I went about it the right way because all my brothers that I deal with, majority of them that I deal with, either hooping in the league, they're still hooping, that's coaching, that's G. I could pick up the phone right now and call them to this day. I dinner with them. They still my home. There's only one of them that's got offended about me being in the media, Mr. Kevin Durant. But it's all good. Any other people? Still got my same relationship because they know, like, bro, I'm going to keep it real. I ain't going to be by. Play bad. I got to talk about you. But if you play good, I'm going to be the first person to give you your flowers. And that's part of being in the media. And the real people understand that and understand my job and position that I'm As an analyst, how do you feel about Luca being announced as a most improved finalist when – he was the reigning rookie of the year. Can't do it. He was the number three overall pick. You, it, it's no way. Like that. That and it's no disrespect to the to the most improved award. Let me. I don't want to come off as disrespect, but like that's beneath him. You ain't winning most improved. That's like Tim Duncan, LeBron, Shaq, uh, D. Rose, like all these guys. Duncan, all these guys that won rookie of the year, all of a sudden, like the next year they get most improved. No, after you win rookie of the year, it's like all stars, MVPs, like that it's most. Right. And I'm glad Luke kept it 100 after the game and was like, you know, I ain't in this for no most improved. Yeah, Devontae Graham definitely should have got that nod, I think, over Come him. On. He got the same exact story as damn near Pacquiao. Both of them played in the G League, came out. And after that, they had still they balled out. Like, how is he not in that conversation? A guy like Luca, like you said, once you win Rookie of the Year, you expect it to become an All Star. You expect like everything we seen out of Luca, we 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 expected this. This is what we thought we were gonna see. Absolutely, like we ain't gonna sit up here and say that he hasn't done. You know, he's not playing at extreme and high level. And we could have a conversation about him probably being a great twenty year old, twenty one year old, like Magic and Braun, but. But most improved, nah, dog. That 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 award goes to guys like Devontae Graham, Bam out of the Bayou, you know, guys like even Sabonis, guys we didn't expect right. that type of years. Not guys that you had expectations. We knew coming into this year, Luke was gonna be an awesome. But like that's the that's media people painting this narrative that I I don't like, and that's why I think we should come another plan, right? I think the media should. Vote for like top ten finalists in every category, and then after that, when vote for them, the top ten finalists, then you let the coaches and players pick who they want to pick, but you can't anybody on your team. I think that's the perfect solution. Like with the MVP, if you let me ask y'all this, let me ask y'all this, because I might have to go in a second. I'm sorry, let me ask y'all. <laughs> The goalposts is changing. The goal moves so much when it comes down to the MVP award. I don't understand it, right? Like, when Steve Steve Nash won the MVP, he averaged 15 and 10, dog. Like, he won the MVP averaging 15 and 10. That was the year with Kobe averaging 35. 30, playing yeah. with, like, Parker and Kwame Brown and had his team in the playoffs in the West, bro. Like, 
that's my thing. Take this person off this team. If you take young Milwaukee Bucks, they still a top five team in the Eastern Conference. You take Braun off the Lakers, put the Lakers really be. They probably be around seven, seven, seven or eight probably in the in the in the West. That, that's what I'm saying, man. Like that's that's you know I said this. Giannis is the most dominant, but he's not the most valuable. It's a difference. We appreciate you taking the time out to chop it up with us, Perk, and come on the episode. Hey, 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 hey. I'm on first take, and all of a sudden I hear, I say, hold on. That's Cam and Drew Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to take my job or something, bro. We're going to see you at the top. We're going to see you there. All right, man. Y'all keep it up. I appreciate uh, no you too, Perk. Perk.